Root Simple Podcast. Low tech, home tech. Hello and welcome to the Root Simple Podcast. We're the audio companion to the Root Simple blog, where we cover gardening, home economics, and DIY living. This show is hosted by myself, Eric Knutson, and Kelly Coyne. We are the authors of The Urban Homestead and Making It, Radical Home Ec for a Post-Consumer World. In episode 20, Kelly and I discuss the mow-and-blow landscape paradigm with writer and avid gardener Emily Green. Emily has written for many newspapers, including the Los Angeles Times, the New York Times, The Guardian, The Daily Telegraph, and The Independent. She also has a blog at chanceofrain.com. Writing in the Los Angeles Times in 2011, Emily said, What would you do if a neighbor came to you and asked, For 20 minutes every week, may I turn on your vacuum cleaner, smoke detector, and garbage disposal, and run them all at once? Holding that thought, consider if a neighbor added, Ah, may I also blow noxious dust your way for those same 20 minutes? Imagine that not just one neighbor on the street asked it, but eight. Imagine that each one just wanted their 20 minutes to blare noise and blow dust. It would be sometime between 7 a.m. and 9 p.m. Add up the minutes, and they would equal about six straight days of noise a year. The dust would stay suspended longer an element of smog. Given the choice, most people would say no, in terms unrepeatable here. So most Angelinos don't ask for permission. They just blast noise and blow dust at their neighbors. They call it gardening. So welcome, Emily, to the Root Simple podcast. Thank you for having me. This call actually was prompted by an episode that I experienced the other day. I was spending about an hour sweeping our front sidewalk and our porch and our staircase. And I looked up while I was doing that and noticed a thin layer of sticky dust all over the house that I had spent months painting on a high scaffolding. And I got cranky. And I looked down the street and there was one of the many gardeners, quote unquote, in Los Angeles kicking up a huge cloud of dust. Right. And for some reason, I got angry. I sta- I pointed at my broom and pointed at him, which is something I kind of regret later That's on. That's one of it's Eric's sort of classic self-righteous moments. Self-righteous <laughs> moment. And, and then I ran in the house, and for some reason, I felt like, oh, I need to Google Los Angeles and mow and blow. And the first article that comes up is one of your articles, where you really get into the whole mow and blow paradigm and and what's wrong with it, the many, many things that's wrong with it. Uh, And I wondered if you, we could start there and just just talk about some of the many problems with this paradigm of a kind of machine-maintained landscape that we have. It's so funny and appropriate you bring it up because it has been um, the single most... Um, irritating and upsetting thing about L.A. to me for a long, long time. I moved here from England um, in 1998 during an El Nino, and I, when I was looking around, there was intermittent showers, and it was absolutely glorious, and there was no dust and no noise. And um, it turned out I'd made a choice to move here without hearing the soundtrack of L.A. and its <laughs> anthem of 
lawn grooming machinery. And helicopters. Oh, the helicopters, too, yeah. <laughs> but, but and really, the ice cream trucks. <laughs> and the ice cream trucks, which actually sell drugs. But... The um, this was I was living in West Adams and mm. I had you know very near the tents we had traffic copters we had gangs and, you know it was before Rampart and there was a lot of of violence and things that were gnarly and horrible and yay for Bratton and so on but the the thing that killed me about the lawn grooming was I actually timed it because I was surrounded by lawn that I got 40 hours a week of lawnmowers and leaf blowers yeah. and edgers. And that is, I, you know, that was, that's a lot of time out of a week when you can't go outside without hearing piercing noise. Um, and then, um, you know, the dust issue just became really much more evident to me in, in the foothills where... It's a little hotter, a little drier, and people are have much greater propensity to blow the street as well as, you know, around their shrubs. And um, I've had the same problem where the next door neighbors, leaf blowers, once a week coat my house with dust. And it's, it, you know, you kind of give up washing your windows. But then I started thinking about it and actually reporting about it for a while for the LA Times and found that it wasn't just an irritation. It's actually a really serious, serious health hazard. And we're kicking up dust and what other contaminants are in the street and in the beds, which are never mulched. They're just blowing away their own topsoil. Mm. Um, and making sure nothing beneficial lives there, and it's bad for the plants, bad for the people. But they still do it. And it turns out that, you know, these these blowers weren't even made for gardening. They were made for snow. They Mm. were supposed to go to Chicago in December, not L.A. And they took on here, and people started thinking, oh, I can have a yard crew once a week for 30 bucks. And so even, you know, people with modest income started having, quote-unquote, gardeners. And I really refuse to call these teams gardeners because they're maintenance. And what they do has nothing to do with gardening, uh, other than it's bad for gardens. And, you know, so it just became this kind of new protocol and when they tried to legislate against it in the late 90s, and this was, I think, the gas-powered ones, it was actually on the back of complaints about the gas fumes. Um, and there wasn't very much emphasis on the sheer amount of particulate matter that these kick up. And everybody's, you know, wringing their hands and bemoaning the rise in incidents of childhood asthma and wondering, oh, what could the cause be? Well, duh. If once a week you pay people to turn your, you know, street into a little Owens Valley, you shouldn't be terribly surprised when asthma becomes routine. And and I really feel that this is a, a public health issue. And, you know, if people want uh, maintenance teams to come and take care of their yards once a week, then... They, they need to decide 
what really needs maintaining and what can be maintained differently. I hate this idea that it's somehow anti-Latino and anti-working class to ask people to use brakes. This is a this is a nonsense. The only thing anti is polluting the air you breathe. Yeah. So that's my feeling in a nutshell. You mentioned the 1998 ban, and I actually put out this question on our blog to see if the problem is just Los Angeles or if this is an international problem. And what happened was uh, someone actually sent me a very funny video about leaf blowing on the Rhine, showing that both the Germans and French are in love with (laughs) leaf blowing and calling it the sound of fall now. And then several other people actually mentioned that their cities also have similar bans. And just like Los Angeles, people should know that none of them are enforced. Not at all. Why do you think that is? Well, I I don't know. Values. I think we've just got really screwy values because it kills me that if you park on the wrong side of the street on an alternate day when there's street cleaning, you'll get a ticket in, in a hot second. But if you give every child around you asthma, you, you know, you get a walk. Um, I, I think that our values are very, very screwy on this. And that, you know, we also have, in L.A., we were a real sort of test city because after the ban... I mean, I had just moved here, and so I'm quoting from memories, and it's a little while ago, but this, you know, things, this is roughly correct. Um, there was, in the lead-up to the ban, there was this big influx of money from the um, makers of leaf blowers and lawn grooming equipment, mm. which, you know, they, they make a lot of stuff, tractors, so on, off-road vehicles, all that kind of crap. And they kind of astroturfed the demonstrations by paying demonstrators who then drove up to Sacramento to try and defeat the ban and somebody managed to crash his car on the way there and he became, quote-unquote, the leaf blower martyr. (laughs) And you had, I know, right? And you had people marching around Los Angeles City Hall carrying brooms, claiming social oppression and... It became a real kind of touchy moment for L.A. political correctness of, um, and this, you know, people who have gardens but don't tend them, will they force their underpaid maintenance crews to rake instead of blow? And I think if you, you're rich enough to have a big pad and, and, you know, raking's a big job, then you're rich enough to pay them to rake it. Mm-hmm. And and if you're, you know, have an average size lot, it is not a big deal to rake instead of blow. I always say that's what children are for, but nobody listens to me. Right. <laughs> I, I think so, too. I think kids are definitely, I mean, raking up leaves was a rite of childhood passage, right? It used to be at least, you know. Yeah. Well, and the irony here is, as a UCLA study showed of of the use of backyards in Los Angeles, they found that half of the people in their study never went in the backyard, another quarter, maybe a few minutes a week. So here we are tending these landscapes that no one steps into except for the maintenance people. 
barren landscapes that nobody enjoys <laughs> that are maintained by by you know poorly paid crews and everybody has and bad lungs guys. because of it and, yeah and pool guys and I, I know so it I looks see like that all of it. We we got it. We, it looks like we have to just rethink the whole thing, you know. But I I don't know if that's possible. But you, there seems to be certainly in Southern California and, and maybe in much of of the U.S. this notion that a yard is a lawn with a hedge and a tree, and right. it must be kept in a state of immaculate barrenness, you know, or it's ill kept. You know, if there's right. leaves on the ground, that must mean you're a crazy person, you know, or you're too old right. to take care of it, or you're too you're too poor and trashy to take care of it. You know, so you have to have someone in there blowing every single leaf <laughs> off I your know. property like they're vagrants or something. <laughs> I know. And I how know. how do we address that? That's that's what I'm most curious about, especially in in light of the drought, which makes it all the more urgent for us to change our landscaping notions. Well, I think it's a perfect moment to ban them, to ban their use. I, th- I think that the, with with very few exceptions, I think that when people are up on roofs um, uh, clearing needles and, and cleaning gutters and it's a dangerous situation and you can't rake a roof, fair enough. That, but that you're not going to be, you know, that's, what, twice a year? But I think that for routine yard use, um, it's incumbent on homeowners to simply stop their use. And here's why. Above and beyond the air pollution and the noise pollution and the complete indifference to the welfare and happiness of the community, um, these things dry up the soil. So if we're looking at, you know, and they heat up the climate. So if you're looking at um, the, the thing I see all the time is people blowing beds and then watering the plants. So they've basically taken a big hairdryer to the soil, which we've just irrigated, used a lot of energy to dry it out, and then they wet it again. So they're degrading the soil, they're polluting the air, they're wasting energy, they're wasting water, and it really has to start coming under the kind of scrutiny that the auto industry did that, you know, you, you have to have some standards for efficiency. And if we have inefficient landscapes in a um, setting that has dwindling resources, we're all strapping ourselves on a rocket headed towards disaster. And, and I think that it's incumbent on block clubs and um, other neighborhood councils to get together and set protocols and, uh, you know, these things should not be used. You don't have to, you know, it's not going to kill you to have some leaves on the ground. In fact, it'll be good for your garden. And uh, But if you do want them gone, then the people should be required to rake them. And the other thing I think that we should start doing is making green bin service, um, you know, once a month instead of once a week. So there's no, you know, raking it up and putting it in the bin. It's not, and just cut them off at the pass. <laughs> That's a um, nice idea. Now that people just shove them in the recycling bin. Oh. <laughs> right. Yeah, there's such the a like bin. rampant misuse of the bins. <laughs> I, see. I know. I know. That's like, it's, and you know, it's, it's sad, but the hippest people in LA, you know, government, county and city are the uh, sanitation folks. 
because they get the discharge. They get the mix. The, you know, they can't use the green waste properly because it's full of like batteries and mm-hmm. dead dogs, and <laughs> the um, and and they get all the crap that gets washed into the storm drains. <laughs> and, you know, but and there, if you want to talk with some hardcore environmentalists, you should go talk to the sanitation people. I would they love really to talk to it. them. I've gone yeah. on the tour of the uh, Hyperion sewage treatment plant, which, and I, I'll, it, it, you're absolutely right. I mean, the people there were—they really want people to know what the consequences of of their actions are. And maybe that's part of the problem here: is this the mow and blow thing? The the consequences are are unseen, at least to to a lot of people who don't go in their right. yards. <laughs> Uh, right. You you say uh, you said in an email uh, that you quoted a a local water official as saying that he wanted to make mowing below gardening as socially unacceptable as smoking in a neonatal unit. I really love that. <laughs> I love that too, and I love that guy. It's Kevin Washier at uh, Long Beach Water, and they're very progressive. They're they're the sort of um, unsung um, hip beach city. Um, you know, Santa Monica gets all of the props for um, good policies to do with stormwater and green issues. But Long Beach is actually really on it and has been for a long time. They um, brought in uh, strict watering ordinances a full year before L.A. They've run a really aggressive um, campaign to eradicate lawn they, you go into their office and it's like children's pictures of fish and little things like fish need water too. And they have a California native garden with stormwater drainage around their offices. Um, and they really get it because they're a downstream city. So everything that we, you know, flush into the storm drain system ends up, you know, sort of, coming out near the port of Long Beach. So they're, well, it's one of the, there are many outfalls, but Long Beach is a big one. So they're just way, way ahead of us. And, you know, just as we're about to vote for a new sheriff and everybody's loving this guy to Long Beach, I think, McConnell, I think that, you know, we need somebody out of Long Beach to run DWP and Met because they've got the kind of values that we need to to move forward as a progressive region. And the city of L.A. doesn't. It's, it's a lot of, um, you know, and certainly the county doesn't. It's a lot so, of talk, and the details are all wrong. I, I, that's one of the things I like about your blog, is that you go through a lot of the nonsense and pick out, the, I mean, they talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. And I think that's... Right. Well, I think the big problem with tilting at lawn culture is um, politically, it's it's a it's a um, you know it's kind of like guns or something <laughs> um, to politicians because Garcetti only got into office by um, partnering up with a Valley Republican called Greg Smith and. Um, overturning the two-day watering ordinance, which had been very effective in lowering water use in the city of L.A. And Smith had felt, and I think a lot of people, um, of his political persuasion and just a lot of homeowners, 
that brown lawns and interrupting that sort of, um, particularly in areas where you have like that green parkway vista, that letting anything go brown there or breaking it up with um, a more hodgepodge affair would hit property values just at a time that values were going through, you know, circling the drain anyway. And so they felt that green lawn was, you know, protecting the value of the valley real estate. And Garcetti looked at it, and he looked at Wendy Gruel as his opponent with strong base in the valley, and he decided nobody will remember this and uh, helped overturn the ordinance, spouting absolute nonsense about, you know, what his wife's gardening tips. And... (laughs) Um, and he got elected, and all, and a, a lot on his criticisms of DWP, but they were all to do with fiscal responsibility and overspending and beating up the union. And you know, it could be that the union's corrupt, and he's doing a good job on that side of things. But he managed to completely ignore. Um, the elephant in the living room, which was the fact that we were running out of water. And he's he's now um, left in a fairly conspicuous position because City of L.A. is playing hardball up in Inyo County, trying to um, wriggle out of dust suppression obligations it has up there, which involves using leaving water up there. Uh, it's, you know, a big proponent of these twin tunnels of taking more, you know, increasing capacity and security of bringing uh, SAC Delta water south. You know, it's going to have to explain to its ratepayers why we're paying a lot for Colorado River water from Met. And all of these things are politically unpleasant. But the, the city council you know, which controls the appointment of the head of DWP, um, they're not going to go for anybody who says, um, you know, uh, you can't have lawn. It's going to have to get very dry for that to happen. And they're, they're even, you know, we've got exploding water mains everywhere, and that's because, um, and Garcetti was one of them, City as a city councilman, they pride themselves on keeping water rates artificially low. And so we we pay way too little for water, which allows this whole culture of wasting it on lawn to, to persist. And we should be paying a lot more, and we should be using the proceeds to fix our water mains so we don't flood UCLA again and, mm-hmm. and so on. But it's 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 being handled so weirdly and in such a, you know, I mean, L.A. is going to, it's got a cash for grass program going, but until programmatically all the civic buildings have appropriate landscaping and all of its uh, rec and parks people use progressive, uh, environmentally sound um, grounds care methods, um, and they can put up all the PDFs they like on their website. The culture's not going to change. Well, it took 50, 60 years maybe to make smoking socially unacceptable. Right. And you've you've raised a lot of very thorny political issues here. Do you think that 
a crisis is needed to make this change happen, or will we evolve as a city? And again, you know, it's just not it's not just a Los Angeles problem. Judging from the our readers' comments, this is a very common problem of of this this kind of dry mow and blow landscape. I don't know what's going to happen, and frankly, I'm very very worried because most of our trees and you know, LA is not great at street trees. A lot of the trees that confer uh, important shade are um, on on private property, and a vast majority of those are irrigated with lawn sprinklers. And so, it, as people dry out their lawns, they have to start thinking about the health of their trees, and we need a programmatic. Um, very well communicated uh, system to, to reduce lawn everywhere, but you know where in parks and playing fields where it's beneficial, and sustaining the big high-value shrubs and trees. And what I see all around me are trees in absolute crisis because. They're either not being watered or they're being watered on this goofy regimen backed by the city council, which does three light waterings a week for lawn, which the lawn sucks up, and not the kind of occasional deep watering that trees need. And so it seems to me that, you know, this brings us back, Kelly, to, uh, you were the one, I think, who said uh, the lawn and two sh- a shrub and a tree <laughs> model. The tree is the thing we want to leave standing because it's a really important in urban heat island effect in, um, you know, just livability of L.A. And so we need to back out of mow and blow culture in a organized way. And if we let it, if we opt for unstructured collapse, it's going to be a very unpleasant environment. So we all need to become gardeners. Or we need to be willing to pay gardeners. I'm sorry to interrupt you. (laughs) Yeah, no, I agree, both. And not be blackmailed by people who just want to blow the property and run to the next house. Mm -hmm. I think it would be really nice to see entire blocks start using the same garden teams so the teams could come in and instead of worrying about hit and run, they could work programmatically in, you know... um, entire blocks and that way they not everything would have to be mowed one week or blowed one week they could go in and do check the drip and then they could turn around and you know rake leaves as needed or mulch the beds or whatever it would be really nice to see certainly where the front parkways are concerned and there's all this um curb appeal concern from politicians and realtors who are big players in this, um, if we could come up with something that was attractive and beneficial. And, you know, I think that, I don't know why people don't garden here. We can do it almost every day of the year. I know. I I was talking to our arborist uh, about that, and he comes from the East Coast, and he was saying, you know, back east, people like working in their yards. They're like, yeah, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll rake my leaves myself. You know, I wanted to plant that myself. You know, they're very interested in DIY. Um, and he's like, but since he came here, he's like, nobody wants to have anything to do with their yards. And I guess we're just spoiled rotten. And I think maybe 
on the East Coast, when you're locked indoors half the year because of the poor weather, when it's nice, you feel the need to get out in it, you know, and absorb the sun and touch the soil. But here, you know, it's it, there's there's this sort of sameness, varying right. into extraordinary heat lately. <laughs> so right. so it's always right. there. So you take it for granted. There's no need to rush outside because it's a sunny day. Because tomorrow is going to be sunny too. <laughs> right. Right. So it seems like we're just we're just spoiled and lazy. I, I, that's the only thing I can come up with. <laughs> well, I think that those those things are true. Uh, they're absolutely true, and. Um, but if we're going to do that, then we need to pay people to to garden appropriately. And you know, I would love to see a whole new generation of of young horticulturists coming of age and actually being able to find decent work doing smart gardening. Yeah, me too. And I think that's a really important point that you can't take the skill out of it and expect a good result. Mm-mm. It's and the hardest thing in the world. I think. And, yeah, it is very hard. And, you know, if you look at, I think all the really great things, well, not all, but very many of, you know, our really great thinkers have been gardeners because, um, you know, you observe the natural world and you you are, it's a living laboratory. I mean, I know people say this all the time, but it does make you a much better critical thinker. Um, and plants don't lie, so it forces you into a really um, empirical world where there's lots of mystery and and it just promotes thinking. I mean, I, we wouldn't have um, genetics without a gardener, Mendel. You know, it's it's funny because you hear this thing about LA not having climate or not having seasons, and I think we've got more than four seasons. It seems to me that it, we're like, it's incredibly nuanced and interesting here. But It's very subtle. It took me years it, to figure, to even start to see it. You know, it's, it's amazing. Me too. And um, I think that, you know, you just, people prune their trees in the spring when the birds are nesting, and the sap is rising, and you're thinking, what are you doing? But so there's there's not this deeply rooted cultural connection with um, the four seasons and when you do things and why you do things. And while LA's got more history than say, you know, Las Vegas, um, we're still a very new place, and there aren't um, we haven't reached critical mass of people who really understand it and know how to manage it appropriately. And, you know, Edan Ortega, who used to be at the Metropolitan Water District and has formed a company in Orange County that does drought-tolerant gardens, um, has always, he's been on the board of Heal the Bay and all kinds of organizations. He's, he's a smart guy. And he has this belief that Love of the landscape and understanding of the landscape is a perfect kind of cultural meeting up point because you may be Latino or you may be um, Irish or you, you you may be Asian, but we all like trees and we all like food and we all like the outdoors. And that this is a place where we have this great opportunity to all become Californians and Angelinos by learning to love the, the landscape. And, and the climate, and embracing it. And, you know, when I'm 
optimistic, I think of that. I, I, I err towards gloom, and, and I have to remember that gloom is a luxury that um, I can't really afford because I don't want to turn around to the next generations and go, oh, sorry, we broke the world. You know, I... <laughs> What you gonna do? <laughs> Sorry, <I know>. kids. <laughs> I, I, right, you know, over to you, kids. Have a party. <laughs> you know, politicians. We just couldn't work with them. What are you gonna do? <laughs> right, right, right. You know, I myself, you know, would have done things differently. <laughs> and 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 it is hard because you don't. You often don't get the gratification of success and. You know, I, I, I don't, it's going to be very gradual, but I think leaf blowers, I'm glad you chose them. I think they're just the very symbol of how screwed up we are. And that, you know, if we can take out that one crazy emblem of, you know, screw it, I'm in a hurry, uh, you can take this, sorry, I don't have the money, um, and say, wait a second, no, there's no excuse ever for aerosolizing um, dust and arsenic and all of the crap that's in dust every week and blowing it all over your neighbor's house and in their lungs and in their children's lungs because you're in a hurry. Not acceptable ever. And I really feel that the drought and the dried soil and the volatility of the dust now is a perfect opportunity for us to just move in and take out this one kind of emblem of lawn culture. Maybe... maybe, Oh, go ahead. No, sorry. No, I I was going to say maybe the the leaf blower is, is... what is it called in ecology, like a keystone a keystone animal? You know, like if you take yeah. the leaf blower out of the picture, then things will like fall into place in the way in the same way, like when they let the wolves back into Yellowstone, the whole right. ecology healed itself, you know? Like, right. like, so right. it's the opposite. Just take out the leaf blower and see what happens. <laughs> see the magic right. unfold. You know? Right. Right, and leave the leaves around the plants because that's what they need for mulching and new organic matter and beneficial mm-hmm. insects. Yeah, I got to say, we haven't removed a leaf from our property in 15 years. Right. <laughs> they all, yeah. you know, and what's funny is that maybe people don't understand is that, you know, it looks like a lot when they first fall, but they go away. <laughs> right. They become they soil. Down. They become yeah. soil. So just be patient, right. you know. Right. <laughs> it's right. great. You can be really lazy. Just I just shove them all under the avocado tree. Yeah, it all works out. <laughs> well, uh, particularly avocado. And they need and their mulch. They need their mulch. And avocado and oak leaves. I mean, people pay 20 bucks a bag for oak leaf mulch. Why would you put it in your green bin? It's great stuff. It's full of calcium and it's got real... Admittedly, it's a little pokey when you weed in it, but it's... Um, those are the two best sources of the really high quality mulch, and people are just thrown away gold. And I just it, cry when I see the avocado trees in lawn with no mulch. That's oh, a, I know. You know. I see that all the time. And people say, "Well, my avocado never produces avocados," and I'm like, mm, "Well," <laughs> I look yeah. at it, it's, you know, bare soil, and I'm like, "Yeah." <laughs> bare soil up pruned, so its limbs are getting burnt. Mm-hmm. Up pruned and lion's tailed, so it's getting sunburnt. 
and uh, no, no mm-hmm. kidding, it's not producing. It's a miracle, and then it falls on your car. <laughs> yeah, like, surprise. <laughs> so, sorry, I'm a little jaded. <laughs> Aren't we all? <laughs> well, Emily, uh, I want to thank you for taking out some time very last minute to be on the podcast and if people want to read your writing i wondered where you uh where you would direct them oh it, it's the main repository for it is 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 my blog which is www.chanceofrain.com uh thank you for the plug i appreciate it and i look forward to um the podcast i've been an avid reader and i you know think I'm going over to podcasts. You should do a podcast. Oh, yeah. Uncensored, oh, that's very of course. <laughs> I think the censors might find me. Anyway, <laughs> thank you so much. Okay, thank, thank you, you, Emily. Emily. And okay, let's be in touch. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. bye. That was Emily Green. Once again, her blog is chanceofrain.com. I also want to thank all the readers who have left comments on our page in the iTunes store. And please let us know if there's a topic or a guest you're interested in. To leave a question for the Root Simple podcast, call us at area code 213-537-2591 or send us an email at rootsimple at gmail.com. We are Root Simple on Twitter. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment for us in the iTunes store. We're also on Stitcher. And you can support the Root Simple podcast by buying a copy of one of our books through the Amazon links on rootsimple.com. Our theme music is by Dr. Frankenstein. Thank you for listening. (laughs) ¶¶